Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Miriam Knight, the publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital multimedia magazine and website where we review the top books and films contributing to every area of conscious awakening. Our website is ncreview.com. On this show, we explore many different expressions of awakening and celebrate consciousness in action. And one of the most active people I have read about in a long time is our guest today, Temple Hayes. Temple was raised in a traumatic environment in South Carolina and grew to question everything, including her sexual identity. Temple became a successful athlete and corporate executive, but it took a new understanding of spirit to pull herself from the car wreck of alcohol addiction and through a hundred different fears. Today, she's a practicing shaman and spiritual leader at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida. She's an internationally recognized and beloved speaker and serves on the Leadership Council of the Association of Global New Thought. Her weekly radio show is called The Intentional Spirit on Unity FM. And she's the author of How to Speak Unity, The Right to Be You, and now her latest book, When Did You Die? Eight Steps to Stop Dying Every Day and Start Waking Up. This book is anchored in her work to fast-forward people to impassioned and energized living. I'm so delighted to welcome Temple Hayes. Welcome, Temple. Thank you. Thank you so much, Miriam, and thank you for being such a trailblazer as you are, and it's so exciting to be with you. Thank you, Temple. You know, I'm always very moved by stories of personal redemption and the ability to transcend pain and fear to succeed in the world. But doing so is never easy. What was it that gave you that inner courage and strength to turn your own life around? You know, at a very early age, when I was five years old, I just I felt that connection out in nature to, to spirit and just a connection that there was something more And it just always brought me back home to myself, if you will, in spite of outside circumstances or problems or challenges or at the time, you know, in my teenage years when I would think I would be giving up hope altogether, uh, there was always that nudging within me. I I feel we all have it. Um, I know we do, you know. And I think one of the things that that we're doing um, in today's times is we aren't allowing children to spend – as much time in nature and in the arts that they ought to be so they can make that interconnection. You know, a lot of people may say, well, I don't know about religiosity or spirituality, but nature and art are are the two windows into the greater spirit within ourselves that, that we have that's universal, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I've heard many different variations of the story of surviving a traumatic childhood by um, having a feeling of a protective presence, whether it's nature or angels or guides. There's, there seems to be something in um, a childhood that um, just kind of cries out for for protection and 
when when the adults in your life, when the, the people who surround you don't protect you, uh, it seems like the universe tries to reach out its hands to to hold you. Um, when you say that you found solace in nature, did you ever have a sense of a divinity or angelic presence? Absolutely. But it was confusing for me at the same time because keep in mind this was in the early 60s and we couldn't go on the Internet and, you know, meetup.com or, you know, I feel different, you know, where are you? <laughs> you know, so it was it was different in that way that, you and I lived in the uh, deep south, and Miriam, you just didn't talk about stuff. And I found when I when I was willing to talk about things to my grandmother and tell her about the trauma we were going through uh, at my home and everything, people shut me down. I found that they were very uncomfortable with that level of truth. And actually, many of them that still live there in that area, I would say they still are. Um, because there's certain cultures, you know, they become their own rhythm, and they're just kind of going through life, um, mostly kind of unconscious of, well, this is the way my parents did it, this is the way their parents did it, so this is the way I'm supposed to do it. And that's one of the reasons I felt so strongly about writing the book. It's like what is happening to people is that we're becoming somewhat robotic, you know, just kind of going through the motions. Um, but in relativity to that energy with me, I, I never really found anyone that I could share my concerns with, uh, my problems and my issues. And because when I did, I felt abandoned and or rejected, what started happening as then I'm entering my teenage years is I started abandoning and rejecting myself. So when I had that first drink of alcohol, hey, I knew better. I got the message loud and clear, this is so not for you. Actually, I became very ill, and I got like this flu stuff for um, several days. And the first time I smoked a cigarette, it, I went into full-blown tonsillitis, if you could believe it, because <laughs> I had a really strong spirit in me that, you know, there was a path I was supposed to go on. But I just went, I need to be accepted and fit in. So I went along with that for many years. Probably the greatest experience I had in my late 20s was that I was in a group therapy type program and for the first time in my life when I would throw out my big secrets and my big deal breakers where people had walked out of my life or told me um, that I was going to go to hell for being different, you know, all of these adults in that sacred circle looked at me, Miriam, and said, we love you. Is that all you got? <laughs> and I went, I, I think I'm, I'm gay. And they said, and what else do you, would you like to tell us about yourself? And I said, no, did you hear what I said? You know, And that's when I started seeing past the fact that I was a mistake. I had held myself to, I know God doesn't make mistakes. If that's the case, then why am I a mistake, according to, you know, the people that I've known, um, and moving to the, the point of not having that shame that I, that I carried so long uh, in my life. This is such an interesting time that we live in now where the question of um, 
sexual orientation is so much in the news and in the national consciousness. Um, how, how do you feel about the, the shift that you're seeing? Well, I, I talk about it from time to time with people from, you know, my generation, and I think it's important. I mean, there are, there are different windows of uh, perception. I mean, some people will say, you know, we still have so far to go. But for me, I'm quite frankly baffled and in awe of how far we've come, you know, um, because I feared for my life when I was a teenager. I feared something terrible was going to happen to me. Um, and my grandmother told me that she was really sorry she wasn't going to get to see me in heaven. That's a lot to tell somebody that's not quite 14. Mm-hmm. So to see where we have emerged um, with uh, healthy programs on, on television about healthy families, about um, gay couples and adoptions and integration and now uh, legal marriages, I'm like, wow, you know. <laughs> Do I see more coming forward? Of course. But I'm delighted in the progress that has happened in really not that long when you think about it. Don't you think it's part and parcel of a general um desire to be your authentic self. People are no longer prepared to fit into molds. They're not prepared to just lie down and accept anything that they're told. And we're seeing it playing out not only, um, you know, in the civil rights arena with race and with sexual identity, but in the political arena and the national arenas around the world, I think all of this ferment is leading, it is the result of people trying to understand who they are and claim their identity. You know, in many cases, what we would consider dramatically misguided, but but um, it's all coming from the same impulse. And your book is also feeding into that um, call for awakening, call for knowing who you are and claiming that. What what was your um, motivation in writing the book? What do you want people to take away from it? Well, the the topic of the book, the idea of it, the concept was given to me um, many years ago when I would go on um, shamanic uh, sacred journeys. And, I mean, there would be some um, meditations, Miriam, that I would literally in visualization world, of course, be given a pen and a, a book <laughs> to, like, get on with it, you know, Temple, write this, you know, write all this down. And it... When I got that awareness, it's like my whole life made sense. You know, it was that one piece of the puzzle that once it was in place, I went, oh, that's part of the reason I came here. Because early as a child, I could read energy. And I could feel when people were dying, and I'm talking more so energetically, Mm -hmm. And I could feel the rigidity of their being. I could tell when people were old, long before their time of aging. 
and all the different walks of my life that I had walked through, then I realized with that epiphany, oh, this is mine to do. Um, and so the the golden nugget in, in the book is that we're so obsessed with the fact of physically dying. I mean, most of us deny it to such degree that we still pretend, you know, it's not going to happen. We have great difficulty as leaders urging people to just fill out their paperwork, their wants, their wishes, and their desires. But in that, either the denial of it or pretending it's not going to happen to us, what we're missing out on is the unnatural part of dying. The physical death, as it's so now, is natural. It's the dying every day in our lives that's not natural. People are in relationships. They, they're really not fed by. They're in jobs that they dread. It's not an accident that so many heart attacks happen on Monday morning. I'm sure with all your knowledge and wisdom, you're aware of that. There's something within the human spirit that we can only go against ourselves so long, and it and energetically we start losing parts of ourselves. I remember interviewing a Chinese medical doctor who studied cancer, and he said that one of the causing factors that he found in his research was losing hope, feeling that your life will never get any better and really not having a reason for living. And uh, this has been borne out with many different other um, books and research that I've read. There was a book called Radical Remission by Kelly Turner, and uh, one of the common symptoms in survivors of stage 4 cancer was having a reason for living. And your book speaks so beautifully to that. Um, how do we get to that point where we recognize that we have turned off the current, the juice to our, um, our joy in life? Well, in the book, I ask a number of questions that kind of, um, in people sitting down and journaling and being, you know, honest with the questions, then they can assess uh, areas that they may not be totally true uh, to their lives and to the moment. You know, something as broad as have you ever been in a car accident? Have you lost in your life um, several people that you love, you know, by the way of death or by the way of decision? You know, is there times within a 24-hour period that you felt very strongly about something but you didn't speak out? It could be a compliment. It could be a confrontation. Uh, these are all measurings of, of where we are. So I, I did find this part of the process, you know, to be helpful. But we are here really uh, to live our lives with the same amount of energy that we started with. So if we brought it down to just the most simple way, Miriam, I would say how much energy does a person have? And... And a person can usually do a self-check on that and see. And if you feel that you're lacking in energy, 
in different ways, or you're starting to already stereotype yourself that it's because of the age, it's because of this, it's because of that, um, then that's a very big clue that there's areas of your life in, in subtle ways that you've begun to die, energetically speaking, and feeling disconnected and drained. Because when we go through challenging times, once we walk through those times, we really, at the other end of it, we need to be bigger people energetically, not less. And we're somewhat programmed in life that, you know, oh, you went through this hard thing, uh, you know, bless your heart, how did you get through it, don't know how you did it, um, I don't know how you, how you even keep going. You know, we have all this languaging that then makes us more dependent upon uh, other kind of drugs and different things, and we kind of lose sight of what innately we're able to do. And that, that's what we did, you know, through centuries of tribal times is the least thing that a person would go through, a group of people would come together, they would chant, they would sing, they would do various healings, and that person, once they walked completely through that, would be like so dynamic and so alive. And that's what our problems offer us, the opportunity, is to grow out of our past understanding of who we are. But we have it a little bit uh, turned around <laughs> in the way that we're not really going with the natural design. I like to say my past describes me, but it does not define me. That is so to the point. We let our stories define us, and we feel that we can never get past them, and we use them as excuses for not really achieving all that we know in our hearts we can achieve. Tell us about your metaphor of the eagle. I love the story of a naturalist that he goes and he visits a chicken farm and he sees all these chickens and the chicken farmer and he's kind of shocked when he looks around and he sees an eagle in the midst of the chickens. And so he says to the chicken farmer, he said, you know, you have an eagle here. And the chicken farmer said, well, he eats chicken food. He talks like a chicken, so to me, he's just there a chicken. And the naturalist says, ah, oh, but he's an eagle. Do you mind if I take him out and I work with him? And so he takes him up to the, to the mountain, and he says, you are an eagle, and you can fly. And the eagle initially starts flapping his wings and kind of gets this memory, this recall, like I'm an eagle. And then he looks back to the chickens and he becomes afraid and he goes and joins them again until another time the naturalist then takes him out again and he says you are an eagle and you can fly and it's <laughs> and therefore his wings and therefore he became an eagle and I think metaphorically that's true for so many people I know that was certainly true for me is that I, I was an eagle I was born to be an eagle and yet I would go back to people telling me what was unacceptable or what I could be to fit in, how inappropriate it was to be different. And I'm not just talking sexually. I'm talking, you know, people that are talented. There's many people that um, Miriam I meet that have read the book that will come up to me and they, they say, you have no idea, your book made me realize that I'm a singer. And back when I was 
in high school, my teacher told me that I couldn't hold a tune. And I've brought that back out of myself again. So there's lots of people. It's not even necessary to look at. Not everybody is broken, but there's so many people that could be soaring that they've listened to one or two comments in their lives, and it shut down this true gift and talent that they could be an eagle. And I just get so excited about it, as you can tell. <laughs> it's the great awakening, you know, for all of us to realize uh, that we are truly magnificent. Indeed. And on that note, we're going to go to break, and we're speaking with Temple Hayes about her book, When Did You Die? We'll be right back. been trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to start to listen? I'm Miriam Knight and I interviewed 37 individuals from all walks of life for our book, What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. In it they describe the cosmic two-by-fours that changed their lives and their answers may make you rethink your own ideas about the nature of reality. Available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, or ask for it at your local bookstore. What wags the world? Tales of conscious awakening. about how old and tired they feel 
where there's a whole different level of people that are ageless spirits. Um, one that everybody obviously knows now would be Betty White. Um, I mean, look at the girl go. She gets more opportunities now than she ever has in her life. That's the model of the philosophy that we're talking about is an ageless individual of, of the joy of celebrating yet another year uh, on the planet. And when people are like that, um, they can be around any generation, any age group, and, and their childlike spirit just shines through. So I love birthdays. I celebrate mine about a month. I know sometimes people get tired of hearing about it, but I just own it, you know, because, well, especially with my life, I'm I'm so glad that I'm still alive because of those uh, periods of time that you alluded to earlier of, like, the saboteur within. I mean, I think I had a few guardian angels uh, walk away from their job when it came to me. <laughs> because in those days of my drinking days, um, you know, 27 years sober now, um, so happy birthday real me, um, if we look at it that way. Um, I mean, I was, um, I had some, quite a number of um, severe car accidents. So I'm grateful to be here. And life is a, is a gift. I, I also like to say, Miriam, that if you're excited about your life, then life and other people are excited about you. Hmm. You found a lot of inspiration from shamanic teachers. Um, what was it about that particular kind of spiritual outlook that drew you? Well, I think that, um, you know, part of the... Um, Native American or the Celtic shamanism and that culture uh, and the Aborigines that um, we have studied uh, all over the world, I think that we are intrigued by it because it is the most innate within us. Uh, Our first drum, as my friend Christine Stevens would say, our first drum that we heard was our mother's heartbeat. And so we are very connected to ancient wisdom and rituals and philosophies if we allow ourselves to not just go with the first thing we're ever told and to explore that uh, both intuitively and as an uh, exploration for ourselves. And, and for me, I, I don't, I guess I just was born to question stuff. And even though I went into public education and those kind of things, I never lost and still haven't. I still ask questions. You know, if you look at the word question, it's quest I own. And I think that's so key for people to not lose their energy and to stay awake is to not just take everything at face value but to ask questions. And shamanism gave me that because I started feeling uh, going into my late 30s, like a part of myself, I was just not quite my energetic self. And so I, through um, saving us a lot of time about that, I just called into the universe that I, I needed to draw someone into my life that could help me. And that's what happened, is I wound up with a, through a series of events, I wound up meeting a wonderful shamanic teacher 
that the minute I started really talking to her and she started sharing with me the wisdom, it wasn't foreign to me at all. I went, exactly. I totally believe all this. I get it. Um, much more practice with the earth, with being grounded, uh, changing more of the food that I was putting in my body, uh, the food I was feeding my mind, you know, and my mental energy. But there's such depth to that shaman energy because uh, shamans believe in wholeness and infinity. So it's very broad. And I've learned a lot about how to go into the deeper wisdom within myself and create symbols and archetypes that I could use to really grow me. Well, this is kind of predicated on a certain level of trust that the universe is benign even when events in your life tend to demonstrate the opposite. How do you reach that level of trust? Well, I, I say in my book that a lot of times teachers will say the opposite of love is fear. Uh, to me, the opposite of love is um, would be the, the trust part and developing that trust muscle. And we have to kind of start where we are. But one of the things, if people will wake up enough to start just paying attention to the dots of the things, the moments, the encounters that they have with other people, the, the phone call, the radio show that you didn't know you were looking for, but you happened to find it, and the connections, because they're all around us. All of our clues, everything is just right there, but it requires us to have enhanced listening and being attentive. I think the biggest thing for me, um, metaphorically, for many years I used to feel like something was missing in my life that I was missing, and perhaps we'll have another window in the in the show that I could talk about that value of what I discovered with that process. Absolutely. We will take another break now, but then we'll be right back speaking with Temple Hayes about her book, When Did You Die? Temple's website is templehayes.com. HealthyLife.net radio programming everywhere. TuneIn Radio is your mobile solution. The app is available for iPhone, BlackBerry, and Android phones. Search your app store today. Search for TuneIn and take HealthyLife.net radio programming everywhere you go. Temple Hayes, author of When Did You Die? Temple, before the break, we were talking about this whole question of waking up. What does it mean to be awake, to, to have an awakened consciousness? It's when you get to a place in your life where you realize that the secret of life is that you always get what you bring. 
And so if you bring a trusting heart, you are going to have experiences in your life and people that are trusting. If you put your whole self in into your your work, then you get the gratification of that back as well. Um, I I liken it to the book, to a song of to do the hokey pokey and put your whole self in. <laughs> it really that really is what it's about. It's about putting your whole self in, not part of yourself, not uh, what you've been hurt by before, uh, but you don't trust. Put yourself in again. Uh, not waiting until you can turn yourself around, but the willingness to start right now to be awake to the moment that you're in. Even if your discovery is that you're looking for different, you're still required to put your whole self in for that to be realized. I like to tell people, you know, even to die a physical death, it takes putting your whole self in and a lot of energy for that to happen. So it is time for people to wake up and and get beyond just listening to what the commentators say around them. So if we're looking for a practical answer, I only listen to people that are modeling where I am headed. Those are the people that I really take such value in. Um, for example, a woman not too long ago told me that she was going to a therapist because the therapist was going to help her uh, learn how to have a relationship because she was looking for a husband and I said well how long have you know you and the how long is the therapist uh, how long has she been married to her husband and she said well she's not in a relationship mm-hmm. and I said well you you know you might want to ask more questions about that and I yeah. think that we're so quick to listening to uh, experts that don't have a proven track record and that doesn't mean that they won't get one we all had to start somewhere, but I think we're too influenced by people that they're not necessarily living by example. They're more um, than anything living by concept, and that's very different. You know, you use uh, parables and stories to great effect in the book, and one of the stories that I really liked was the one about the a uh, poor man coming before the king and being given a new set of clothes. Um, tell us that parable and the lesson that we learn from it. Absolutely. There's a, um, a man um, in ancient times that he walks by the palace and he sees a sign that they're going to have a huge banquet, and he has all these um, these horrible clothes um, very weathered-looking man and somewhat, you know, homeless-looking. And so he knocks at the gate, and he says that he would like to come to the banquet and that he would like to see the king. And so he goes before the king, and he says he would like to come to the banquet. And the king puts him with his son and provides his son, gives him this beautiful, amazing outfit and the son says, this outfit is so beautiful and it's so expensive, it will last you for many, many years. And so the man puts it on and he looks in the mirror and he just like he's in awe, it's so beautiful. <clears throat> and then he looks back at his rags and he grabs the rags and he holds them and he carries them throughout the banquet. He sits with them as he's eating 
and he leaves the palace, and he continues through the years to carry the bags wherever he went. And he became known as, you know, the man of bags uh, versus the man of riches. And that's often what people do in their lives is they have the ability to be magnificent beyond what they can even imagine, but they hold on to the ways of being or these old uh, beliefs that don't work or things their parents did that they want a different outcome, but they're not willing to let some of those beliefs go. Or they hold on to the, you know, the inability to forgive their exes or different experiences in, in their lives. I was talking to this woman last night on the phone. She contacted me um, from because of the book, and she was telling me how she had lived in this Southern Baptist community and how they had done these horrible things to her family and um, a lot of wrongdoing had been done with her mother and a banker. And, you know, we're talking 25, 30 years ago, and she was talking about how she had never been the same since. And in a very loving and gentle way, that's what we're talking about. She's still carrying the rags of 25 or 30 years ago. And I said, you know, they may have done that to you then, but you have allowed them to do it to you year after year after year. Now it's up to you now, you know, to rid yourself of that story or to make that story matter. I mean, that's how I feel about recovery and alcoholism. It's like I did that already, you know. <laughs> that's a very old story. I share the story to describe my life of an area in which I am on the other side of, but I'm not apologizing for those things that I did because the key is making life matter right now. The challenge is finding your new story, creating your new story. How do you go about doing that? Well, one of the easiest ways and, and most simplistic is to put yourself in situations where you can meet new people, where you can be introduced to new things, be it an artist class, be it um, different. Um, there's movies that, that communities show. Uh, put yourself in situations that you can connect with people, business meetings, network uh, organizations, so you can expose yourself to people that see you as new. And that's what I did a lot in those early days when I was breaking through some of those old patterns because it's hard to keep going back to the same reality and expect people to see you from a different perspective because that's just human nature. And so you also reach out and expand yourself, you know, by listening to the kind of shows that you offer. That's a wonderful way because you start hearing information differently. You Stories. I mean, that's why I wanted to share so much about my life story, not that it was necessarily easy for me to do that, but because I wanted people to see that a lot of us have walked through tragedy and have come through a place with grace to a new place of triumph. So beautiful. Right. We have to take another break now, but we will be back shortly with our guest, Temple Hayes. 
Barium Knight is the founder and publisher of New Consciousness Review, a digital magazine and website at ncreview.com. For 15 years, Miriam's Beat has been covering the thinkers, books, and films inspiring conscious evolution towards greater health, happiness, empowerment, compassion, and connection. Browse the thousands of enlightening books, interviews, and videos on ncreview.com. You can connect with Miriam on Facebook or through the website. That's ncreview.com. Has the universe been trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to start to listen? I'm Miriam Knight, and I interviewed 37 individuals from all walks of life for our book, What Wags the World, Tales of Conscious Awakening. In it, they describe the cosmic two-by-fours that changed their lives, and their answers may make you rethink your own ideas about the nature of reality. Available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, or ask for it at your local bookstore. What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. Okay, so you have a couple of days off and you're planning to get away from stress. You may be planning to go across the world or even taking a staycation around town. Well, Hotels.com can get you a room in over 158,000 hotels, 60 countries for 50% off. That's reducing stress already. Plus, collect 10 nights and you'll get one night free. And there's no cancellation charges, no change fees. For the best deals, even last-minute deals, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Hotels.com. All positive talk with a mature edge. HealthyLife.net. For our very last section, way too soon, speaking with Temple Hayes about her book, When Did You Die? You know, I was thinking when you were um, wrapping up the last segment how not only are we changing our environment, but sometimes we have to leave people behind because we've outgrown them. And you had a really interesting concept in the book called spiritual relocation, Describe to us what that means and and how we deal with it. Um, A more easy way for people to relate is when I don't change circumstances, circumstances change me. And, you know, often in life people are so caught off guard because they'll find themselves um, losing a job that they had no idea, they didn't see it coming, or... Um, their partner, husband, wife will say it's over and it's so shocking because they're so caught off guard and when people come to me and and say those types of things have happened of course I want to offer you know my compassion and the feelings about that because it's, it's not you know easy breezy stuff that's for sure but then I like to say you are right now in the midst of a spiritual relocation and they go what do you mean by that and I said it's when life shocks you in order to provide you 
with a new eyesight, a new ability to see, that it forces you into going to the next direction of your life that you wouldn't have gone through or to otherwise. I just have an acquaintance who is going through a spiritual relocation. The thing about the the lessons that one learns is you learn them in hindsight. It's like you have to muscle through the uh, the depression, the anxiety, the, the, the hopelessness. When you get to the other side, then you can see what it was all for and how you are better off. But it's very difficult to see that in the moment. Do you have any suggestions on how to get a clearer view, more positive view in the moment? Well, because it's all about relation and relationship and relatability, um, I think balance is so important. So when I'm going through something, um, I like to have people on my team that empathize and that will allow me to be me and not be the coach, you know, not start giving me a class. But I also like to have people that I aspire or, or admire a lot that will be willing from a distance to say, here's where you have the potential of being, you know, once you get through this. I mean, often uh, what will happen is somebody's going through a very difficult time and they'll call a friend who just had something phenomenal happen, and it happens so much that the friend with the phenomenal thing will tone it down, you know, because it's like, oh, well, I, I, goodness, I can't be too happy, you know, because my friend's so sad. And I think sometimes we do a disservice to people when we tone our happiness down. I think there's a level of appropriateness, but I think we need to share with people the good news because it gives them hope, it gives them value, it gives them new insight. And, and to say, I know you're down right now, um, let me share you what just happened to me because, wow, I've been down before and great things are going to happen to you. I'm going to hold that for you. So I like to tell people it's, it's much better when you can to be a lighthouse versus just jumping in the rocky boat with everybody because they usually have plenty of other people doing that with them. You also have a lovely comparison between the lifters and the leaners. To me, that's, um, it's so important um, to be a lifter and to really hold that. I think it's so crucial now that, that we show that we're lifters to our children, uh, to young people, that we believe in our world, we believe in who we are and our humanity, and that we show them that life is not supposed to be weary, that there's all kind of possibilities. I think it's crucial um, that we teach that innovative and that invigorating spirit uh, to those around us. Indeed, if we don't, who will? And if not now, then when? That's right. Well said. <laughs> so as, as we come to the end of the show, um, would you like to leave a message with our listeners? Just to, you know, realize just the great value of what human life is. And I thought for a number of years that the more 
spiritual or connected I became, the less human I would need to be. And what you realize is that the more connected you become, the more joy you find within your own humanity. This is a great ride that we call life. And enjoy it and realize that energetically you don't have to die, but that you could be vibrant um, through all the years of your life. Well, I think we owe it not only to ourselves but to the world to be, be vibrant. And my presumption is that people who are already listening to this show are already awake and on the path to to an expanded consciousness. And it is up to each and every one of you, my dear friends, to shine your light, to use that awakened spirit, uh, to, to infuse it with all the energy that... Um, people like Temple are, are urging you to. And also I recommend you go out and get Temple's book, When Did You Die? Because you will find so much rich advice in here and you will resonate with so many of the, of the uh, stories and, and lessons in it. And Temple, I really have to take my hat off to you for the, the candor with which you wrote the book. It is just so human and so divine at the same time. So thank you. Thank you, Miriam. Coming from you, that that's a tremendous compliment. Thank you so much for saying that. Well, um, I want to remind listeners that Temple's website is templehaze.com, and you have two foundations as well, don't you? Yes, um, Life Rights. And that's the book, The Right to Be You, which makes a reference to some of the things you were saying earlier. One has the right to be um, and to be in this world um, coexisting together, the animal kingdom and everything. And Mm -hmm. then um, the Sophie Project, which supports uh, the rights for animals and helps in those various ways, education and um, connection and teaching children the value of taking care of our animal kingdom as well. And I'm sure that all the information is on Temple's website. Well, I hope you'll join me next week when my guests will be Joy and Roy Martina talking about how to sleep your fat away. In the meantime, I want to thank Temple Hayes uh, for being our guest and her book, When Did You Die? Please visit our website, New Consciousness Review. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Miriam Knight. For New Consciousness Review, be good to yourself, do good in the world, and let your light shine.